For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, May 4th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we are going to have a spoiler-filled conversation about the season finale of Marvel's Moon Knight. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Okay, Brad, Peter's out sick today, unfortunately, uh, so he can't be here, and you're stuck with me. Um, I have seen this. I've I've caught up, luckily, with (laughs) the uh, series finale of Moon Knight earlier this morning. Um, I've not been, you know, uh, detailing the show or or sort of digging into it nearly as deeply as you and Peter have, so hopefully you'll be able to help me out here uh, as we we, uh, go through and talk about this episode. So normally we have um, four sections or the feedback section. I think Peter probably has all of that feedback. He didn't pass any of that along to me. So let's just get right into our reactions. Brad, what did you think about the finale of Moon Knight? Um, I thought that it was mostly pretty good. Um, I think that the, the, the final moments of the series kind of, it almost feels like it's too abrupt. Um, even though the the in this case the the mid credit scene does help, but I mean for for everything I guess that they needed to to accomplish in this finale, they did a pretty good job, uh, and in a, a fairly short amount of time too. I was expecting this to be, uh, you know, like a full on hour episode, but uh, everything wrapped up pretty nicely. Yeah, I, I think that they did a good job of balancing the like the comic book spectacle of it all with the emotional core that has been there from the beginning Mm -hmm. um but i think that this finale ultimately still uh kind of leaned into what was some of the things that we've been talking about throughout this podcast and that i think that this probably could have easily been uh, a movie instead of a tv series and i i'm wondering if maybe the only reason it's a tv series is because it's a little more experimental and not quite the same kind of like blockbuster level marvel stuff you expect to see in a movie and it might have been too risky box office wise but Mm -hmm. but uh yeah i I think solid overall yeah i guess you know i i think i thought it was okay um but there are some things that i really liked a lot and then some things that i was kind of like rolling my eyes at as the episode went along so we'll get more into that uh, as we do the breakdown so let's just dive into it um i'm gonna sort of run through what I saw as some of the highlights here, and Brad, please feel free to interrupt or, or jump in and chime in at any any point along here. So uh, the episode begins with Mark's dead body, quote unquote, uh, being dragged out of the water and Harrow sort of puts this amulet thing on his chest that we've seen in the show several times before. Um, he has the, uh, the what is it called? Uh, Ushabti, the little statue of Amit. Uh, Amit and um, his cane flips into this cool crocodile mouth design. What did you think about that design, Brad? Yeah, that was a nice touch. I mean, it uh, turns what he was already using and connects it to to Amit even more. 
Yeah, so Layla is horrified to see Mark's body, and she grabs that amulet, and, and which opens up and becomes a compass, again, like we've seen before, and she's now ready for this revenge mission, and um, it gets really, I mean, this episode sort of like, it doesn't really waste much time, like you mentioned, there's a lot of ground to cover in 40 minutes, so it really like sort of hits the ground running here, so um, Harrow's caravan reaches the security checkpoint, and he gets out of the vehicle, and basically judges everyone with his magic cane sort of sucking their souls out of most of their bodies. And as Layla is making her way toward Harrow during this, this checkpoint, the dead bodies of the guards begin talking to her using uh, to wear its voice, warning her and saying, you know, if, if Mark can return to life, she and Mark might be able to, to defeat Harrow together. What did you think about this sort of, um, I don't know, it, it's maybe a little too small to call it a set piece, but this little uh, diversion or, or, part of the episode yeah it's a cool creepy uh little thing having uh to it communicate through these dead bodies especially hearing you know that that voice kind of come out of these uh dead henchmen uh if you will but uh yeah very fast moving um i think what i like most i mean about the kind of this entire episode too is just uh, i think ethan hawk is great as harrow like he's just this he's so focused and he's uh, just his delivery of his lines. He's so matter of fact and like dry. And uh, you know, I, I, I just love his, his presence. Like he's, he's menacing without having to do much. Yeah. That calm um, sort of uh, vibe that he brings to it is, is really unnerving and he does a great job at that. Um, so let's see, how does the episode proceed from there? So Layla realizes that she has to break Khonshu's, Ushabti in order to save Mark and back in the chamber of the gods uh, in the in the pyramid um, Harrow fights off the the gods avatars and finally releases Amit who gets into this whole conversation with him that goes back and forth and ultimately results in him becoming her avatar so there's a lot of like um, I don't know you, I guess you get a little bit of the curtain pulled back onto uh, Harrow's psychology a little bit in this scene did you think that this was like um, a relevatory scene in any way, Brad, or did it, did it sort of like just tell you more that you already knew about this character? Or what, what did you think about this uh, this moment? I mean, I think what I love most about this um, is that Harrow is so dedicated to the cause that he understands if Amit thinks that he's not worthy of moving forward. Like, it's th- this is probably, I think, the, the, the one case where like, all the time you hear filmmakers and you hear the actors who play villains talk about, I don't consider this character to be a villain. He's just doing what he thinks is right. And it just so mm-hmm. happens to be viewed as, you know, as wrong or, or it is wrong, you know, uh, because they're not doing it to be villainous. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is like one of the, like the most accurate cases of that because Harrow is willing to like understand if he's not worthy to move forward, like hearing that his scales are unbalanced and he's like, you know, he's, uh, it's probably disappointing, but he doesn't take that turn where he's like, oh, okay, well then screw you on it. You know, right. um, he like, he just accepts his fate as, as it is, which is, uh, you know, somehow, somehow even more scary, I think. Yeah. He's definitely like a, a true believer, which, yeah, as, as you mentioned, that definitely, um, brings its, uh, its share of, uh, sort of like unnerving nature to the whole thing. Um, so Layla releases uh, Khonshu, who tries to convince her to become his avatar, but she basically tells him to get lost. And Khonshu returns to the chamber and ends up fighting Amit. And while that is happening, Mark comes to the re- the realization that he cannot live a peaceful eternity um, knowing that Stephen is out there trapped in the, the duat, the sort of like sandy 
area where he basically got bing-bonged in the last episode. Um, so he, he decides to, uh, Mark decides to leave the uh, field of golden reeds. I don't remember what they specifically call it in the show um, and, and go back for Stephen. And he gives this nice speech when he reaches Stephen's sort of a frozen body in the, the sandy wasteland and tells Stephen that, uh, quote, you are the only superpower I ever had. And they have this sort of um, almost this moment that reminded me a little bit of the the first Frozen movie where they they sort of uh, join hands and they both end up actually frozen in sand for a second before they're both like uh, I guess ultimately like resurrect or Stephen is re- resurrected and the two of them are are joined together. So what did you think about um, this uh, sort of afterlife um, depiction and and Mark's decision to go back for Stephen there? Yeah, this was uh, the emotional core of the the finale that that I loved and I I liked that they. Um, didn't kill off Steven like they didn't see or, or, or Mark, you know, they didn't feel the need to dispatch with uh, either of the personalities because they are, they are, you know, really one person. And the fact that he, uh, that Mark went back for Steven and like acknowledges that like this, you know, having Steven isn't something that shows that he's weak. If anything, it's made him stronger over, mm-hmm. over the years. Uh, and so I, I really like that. Um, and I think that uh, it's cool, like having them join forces and both kind of be in control of themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Tawara uh, helps them reach the gates back to the world of the living, and they go out, uh, they go through them just in time to save Kanchu from basically getting his ass handed to him by Amit. Uh, the bullets fall out of Mark's chest, and he suits up as Moon Knight in this, what is supposed to be a really triumphant moment, but I thought the CG here looks really rough, and it was concentrated on this chest plate that is part of Moon Knight's suit. I don't know if you noticed this, Brad, but there was something in the way that um, that the sort of, uh, I think for the most part, all of the transformations, you know, how like the suit just suddenly appears and sort of, um, you know, like slides around the character's arms and like the mask just shows up and the hood and everything. And then like transforming back and forth between the Steven suit and the Mark suit. For the most part, I think all of that stuff has looked great in the rare times that the Moon Knight character has actually shown up in the series Moon Knight. But for some reason, this one moment, this big triumphant moment after these bullets fall out of Mark's chest, I just thought that there was this bizarre chest plate looking thing. And it just looked like it was, uh, I don't know, it was composited in such a way where it didn't quite match the action of the character breathing underneath it. And it was like, oh man, I just thought it was pretty rough but um did you did you notice that at all or am i just being too critical no i do i do think that there are moments where like it the the suit transformation and stuff looks a little bit more rough here you know i don't necessarily know what the the reason is whether it's a budget thing whether it's a time thing but yeah and and honestly like this kind of stuff like even though it has looked better and has looked pretty good throughout the rest of the series i i i still get a little distracted and annoyed by it because you can always tell when something is CG for, for the most part, mm-hmm. um, you know, and like, I, I really wish that in some of these cases that they would just like go back to doing mostly practical stuff in that way. And I like, and I know that some of the stuff like you have to do with visual effects because you can't do it practically the transformation. But like, I think that there are times when like they have a, like a CG suit or a CG element when like they don't really need to. And I, I understand like the, the impulse to want to like more easily control uh, like the the lighting and the detail and that kind of thing, rather than trying to make it perfect in camera. But like, I also feel like that sometimes it's too much of a crutch. And like, I, I really wish that there were some things that pe- that filmmakers would just more so go back to like the old school filmmaking ways and rely on practical stuff more often. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so as you mentioned before, Moon Knight is now a viable combination of both Mark and Steven, and they uh, negotiate with Kanchu to be freed after um, they, they take care of this whole Harrow Amit situation. Uh, Layla learns from one of the gods' avatars that Amit uh, must be imprisoned in mortal form. And as Harrow is like destroying the, the chamber of the gods, Layla is caught in like basically in, in like a hallway right outside of it. And she makes a deal with to wear it to become her temporary avatar. Um, anything, uh, I guess we'll, we'll get into more of like what that means in, in just a few minutes, but uh, anything that you wanted to mention that, that happened sort of in, in this section of the episode here, Brad, I don't want to like skip over anything. If, if you found anything notable here. No, no, but this was definitely uh, cool to see that they were um, absolutely going somewhere where we had noticed the, the teases for before. Yeah. So uh, Harrow goes out to the top of the pyramid and chants in ancient Egyptian and uh, puts this giant purple light on top of the pyramid and uh, commands the, the followers of Amit to judge the citizens, the citizens of Cairo, causing many souls to be eaten by a giant Amit who is evidently huge now and just stomping around Egypt. What, what, what did you think of this whole, like, I think uh, Raphael wrote an article or is, is currently writing one maybe um, for us at Slash Film about like the, the sort of kaijuification of like what happened in the, the very end of this, uh, this episode with the, the giant Kanchu and the giant Amit that, um, that end up sort of coming to blows here. What did you think of the, that part of the episode and like the, the visual style there. I mean, it's, it's wild. It's, uh, I think it's, it's pretty cool for, for the most part. And like the, the CG for, for Konshu and Amit is, is pretty good. I mean, uh, it's, Amit looks just as good, uh, as Telwart does when, uh, she showed up as well. It's just, it's good visual effects for an entirely digital character. I just, I found myself wondering, uh, whether or not like this big fight was something that was like actually happening or if it's like purely visual spectacle that only uh that like mark and steven and uh harrow can see like are are the people nearby seeing a giant egyptian alligator and conchu fighting in the middle of the desert yeah i was wondering the same thing and i think the answer is that they can see them because and the reason i say this is because i was looking at the environments around these two giant sort of kaiju-esque creatures as they're fighting and at one point one of the characters gets knocked back against the pyramid and like a bunch of dust and and you know debris falls off of it so i feel like them interacting with the environment in a tactile way like that means that people can see them because otherwise they would just see the debris moving without them. Maybe, but like weird. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't think that that's necessarily out of the ordinary though. And I say that because, and I, I don't want to say because I don't, I guess this isn't really, uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but, um, in, in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, when Gargantos first shows up in the first 10-15 minutes of the movie, the creature is invisible at first, and Doctor Strange has to reveal it so that he can actually see what's uh, att mm. attacking America Chavez. And so I think there's a possibility that some of st stuff like this could be taking place in like a different plane of existence in some capacity, or, or at least that like they can't be seen by normal people, you know, in, uh, in that way. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not yeah. sure. 
I think you're right. I think that's a great call. I totally forgot about that because I actually saw like the first, whatever it was, 15 minutes or something of that movie um, at CinemaCon. And I think they've actually released that clip online already. So, um, or, or maybe a portion of that clip online. Um, and yeah, as you said, it happens very, very early in the film. So I, I don't think that's a spoiler at all. But um, yeah, I totally forgot about that. And I think that that definitely is like well, it's weird to call it precedent because that movie is technically not out yet, but, right. but maybe this this show is is the precedent for that happening or something. But yeah, I think I think that makes sense. Um, so yeah, we, basically now we're now into like the sort of typical third act Marvel stuff with these huge fights between giant Khonshu and Amit and then uh, Mark slash Steven and Harrow and then Layla in her new superhero suit. And she just looks absolutely fantastic in this thing. I, I love the design of the suit. I loved um, that. That's one of the the things that I really liked a lot about this episode was that they're finally, you know, I, I felt like this show has kind of has wanted her to be a bigger part of the action than she actually has been thus far. And finally, like this episode paid off the the promise that she was going to be the sort of inherent promise that she was going to be, um, you know, a, a major factor in the action here. And I thought she she lived up to it and. The actress did a great job. What did you think about that? Yeah, this is um, a really cool design for her suit. It's uh, for those who don't know, this is Scarlet Scarab, um, albeit a female version of Scarlet Scarab. Uh, in the comics, Scarlet Scarab is typically uh, a male character, but they kind of switched it up here, and um, it's they, they they do take some comic influences for her suit too, especially uh, looking at like the the wings that she has. They do have like a scarlet tint to them, and it uh, it's reminiscent of. Um, if you look at like the, the um, wardrobe design or the character design for Scarlet Scarab in the comics, it kind of takes takes a, a cue from his like shoulder piece, uh, and the wings very much resemble uh, that style from the comics. So it's a yeah, it's a very cool adaptation of uh, Scarlet Scarab here. I couldn't help but think a little bit about Wonder Woman um, in terms of like the you know the the wing action and sort of like using that as a shield, and then also like the. Uh the crossing you know of her her hands or wrists into like an x uh, yeah. motion and then that's something that uh, that moon knight does as well when he's like fighting off harrow sort of later in this fight sequence and um i think it was uh, hannah in our our slack channel pointed out that like you know this is like a visual signifier um sort of further underlining this show's um connection to black panther because uh in a previous episode they mentioned the um the ancestral plane, right? Yeah. So, like the the visual of uh, of crossing the wrist there, that sort of like Wakanda forever um, uh, shorthand. Um, I, I thought it was a cool little touch in in here. But yeah, the the design stuff looked really great. I love like the the flow of that. Um, I think there's some really really great stuff in in this. Uh, you know, as much as I was sort of joking about like typical third act stuff, and this is some things that this is a an idea that like um, a lot of people who uh, like me, to be honest, uh, uh, frequently look at Marvel stuff with a little bit of a raised eyebrow, um, tend to really roll their eyes at is like, oh, great. Here comes the the big old fight in the third act. But I think there's genuinely some, some really cool stuff. There's this really killer shot of Moon Knight kneeing Harrow in the face with the moon in the background. Yeah. Um, but there's also some really dumb stuff in here too, Brad. Like why does Moon Knight, he, he you know, uh, Khonshu grants him the power of flight basically um, to to travel all the way in into Cairo. Right. And he, uh, Moon Knight is flying in a direct line all the way across the sky. Why does Moon Knight fly into the middle of the pyramid instead of going straight to the top where he can clearly see that that's where Harrow is. I think the only answer is so the good guy and the bad guy can then run at each other and do a dramatic 
like jumping fight oh yeah motion sure. you know sure. so um some of that stuff like the end result does that justify the the logic gap i mean maybe yes i guess you know it's like this is superhero stuff so i shouldn't be thinking too much about this but uh that moment when when moon knight just like lands in the middle of the pyramid and harrow looks down and starts running at him i'm just like what <laughs> Just make it easy for everybody. Just go straight to the top of the pyramid. What are you doing here? <laughs> um, okay, so uh, Layla and Mark slash Steven are fighting side by side. And there's a really cool sequence of that. It's not a super long take, but a slightly long take of Steven fighting a bunch of dudes, doing this acrobatic spin leap over Harrow's energy blast, throwing one of his batons at Harrow, Harrow knocking it away, and then Mark catching it, wearing his version of the suit. Yeah. That was like such a cool uh, stretch. I assume you were a big fan of that moment as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I, honestly, like I think that this um, the this whole fight sequence that kind of takes place down this uh, street is really cool too. There's some cool uh, long takes and just like acrobatics and the way he jumps around and uses his weapons. It was uh, a very well choreographed sequence. Yeah, like the I think that the fight scenes for the most part have been really, really strong in the show. I think I, I remember I'm remembering back to our discussions about Hawkeye and, you know, like that fight in the toy store and yeah. like uh, some of that stuff that just felt slightly janky to me and like maybe not quite as um, as uh, smooth as it could have. I think all of those issues were were sort of fixed or overcome in Moon Knight. I think the the fight choreography is is really really well done in this show. Um, it, it some of Hawkeye to me felt like TV fights, and Moon Knight feels like movie fighting. If that makes sense. So um, let's see what else happens here. So uh, there's that moment where Layla saves a little girl in the streets, and the little girl, uh, well, teenage young teenager, whatever. She she sort of like looks on admiringly and says, "Are you an Egyptian superhero?" And Layla says, "I am." Uh, I kind of hated this moment, Brad, <laughs> because I feel like, you know, you don't need to underline it. We all know what's happening. It's it's a great moment. And then it's like calling attention to itself. It's like the the girl boss moment from Avengers Endgame. Um, it, it's it's cool enough. You're 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 already doing it. You don't need to uh, wink at the camera and point and say, hey, look at me. Everybody already <laughs> knows it's it's right there. What did you think about this? I mean, I think it's fine, you know, like, it's like, like moments like this, like you, you have to be a little bit forgiving because like, uh, you know, there are big comic panel moments in throughout Marvel Comics. And I feel like, you know, that that just has to carry over into the movies, you know, for, just for funs. I guess you're right. I guess I can see that as a comic panel and thinking about it on the page works a little bit better in my mind than what it does here. But yeah, that, I guess that's a that's a, a generous read, Brad. So you're you're taking me down just a little <laughs> bit here. But um, okay, so just when things look the most dire, uh, and Harrow is like standing over Mark slash Stephen is about to stab him in the chest, or I think I guess he has stabbed him in the chest. Uh, Mark blacks out and realizes that a third persona has taken over and knocked out all the bad guys in the area, including Harrow more on this in, in just a minute um as Kanshu and Amit continue to brawl in the streets Mark and Layla imprison Amit in Harrow's body and Kanshu tries to convince Mark to kill Harrow slash Amit and end it for good but Mark uh, in in sort of you know um uh, 
I guess because of Steven's influence, because of everything he's learned, the growth, the arc that he's gone on uh, over the course of this show, he will not commit murder here. And he demands that that Khonshu release them. So what did you make of this, um, I guess, this character turn for Mark? I mean, it would have been really weird if he actually just like brutally killed them. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. Right? For, so. no, for sure. Yeah, this, this is what he had to do. Um, you know, he has to like deny Khonshu control over him and not really give him what, what he wants, even if it's a little bit risky. I will say one of the things that like, kind of felt weird about this even though it does make sense because the precedent was set for the show is like once uh mark and steven blacked out and moon knight you know was taken over by somebody else uh it made it seem a little too easy of a way to wrap things up Mm. and now even though like we've seen like moments to where like when steven was blacking out and mark took over and we didn't see like all that action necessarily but here i was expecting like the moment when that they had to uh, you know, put Amit into uh, Harrow in order to finally, you know, st- stop Amit. It felt a little too easy. Like I was expecting like another, oh crap, you know, like something else is going to happen. Mm-hmm, but it was just mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is it, I guess. Yeah, I think that boils down to like that 40 minute runtime. Like, you know, they they just, they don't have enough time for like an, an extra obstacle there. Um so, so uh, Mark ends up, Mark slash Stephen, I guess, ends up back in the asylum where the uh, the doctor version of Harrow. I don't remember what his his doctor uh, alias is off the top of my head, but he uh, he realizes that he's bleeding from his feet, and he's like, "What? What's going on here?" And Mark and Stephen sort of make the the conscious decision to leave that realm and go, quote unquote, save the world. So, what did you think about this brief um, return, this little uh, side tangent here, back to the asylum for a second, Brad? So, I mean, it definitely raises uh, some well the question well actually real quick and then right after that they wake up in steven's apartment and that's pretty much the end of the episode so yeah so, so, so before the, we get into the post-credits thing yeah, yeah so, what did you think so, about so the questions come later from that so because this kind of solidifies the idea that like this the institution is like a reality that was kind of constructed that could be used as a way to like keep mark and steven Im- imprisoned in in some way mm-hmm. um and like T- tower you know acknowledge that it is a certain plane of existence and basically mark and steven chose not to acknowledge it as their reality anymore so like, yeah and then they come back in you know to their world and like th- this is where i think that the ending felt like so abrupt to me like there's you know, before we get to the post credit scene, it just feels like, oh, okay, so we're back here, and like that's like that's that. It just it, it feels weird to me. Yeah, it does, and especially because like Layla is was such a key part of the the action in that final moment, and she's standing there like arm in arm with Mark slash Stephen to imprison Amit and Harrow's body, and then she just sort of like disappears and is never mentioned again in, in the yeah. final moments. So it was, that was a weird choice, I think. Yeah. There's no uh, resolution there for her. And I guess maybe like there's, there could be some kind of acknowledgement of that based on what we'd see in the mid credit scene, but mm. I don't know. Yeah. It, it just felt kind of uh, sudden and didn't leave the show necessarily in a, I don't know, in the best place. I, I felt like there could have been a better way to, to end that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the fact that it seemed like um, Mark slash Steve, Mark and Steven were, again, like inhabiting the same body and like, um, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, sort of like a, a viable combination. Like they they seem to have settled into um, a comfortable sharing type of situation instead of the, the jostling that was happening earlier in the season. Um, and I like the idea of them 
you know, that asylum served as such a, um, a traumatic place for them uh, in the previous episodes and for them to be able to like realize that they can just leave um, just by thinking it uh, was kind of a, a cool little moment. But um, I- I'm honestly a little surprised that they went back to that asylum imagery after the uh, the reunion between Mark and Steven and the and the duat and everything that happened earlier, it sort of seemed like they had um, I don't I don't know like almost leveled up out of out of needing the asylum as a as a place anymore. Does that make any sense to you? Well, I, I think know. I think that maybe that's why they ha- went back to the asylum to sort of like resolve that and that that, that they that they won't be held back by by that anymore. You know that they okay. had, that they that they had to go back to the asylum in order to like really shut that down. Um, and show that like there wasn't necessarily any any going back to that for them. Yeah, and like now they they truly have power over that area, and it won't like it won't hold them anymore if they yeah. don't want to be there. Um, okay, so let's talk about the post credit sequence. So uh, Harrow is in a, a different asylum, like a, a real um, a, a real place this time. This is not like a I, I think. I mean, I, I think <laughs> who knows with this show, right? Um, but it seems like he's in an actual facility. And the first shot we see is of a rubber ducky wearing a doctor's outfit. And then we see sand in his cup, which spills and becomes coffee. And somebody speaking Spanish offers to take control of Harrow's wheelchair, wheels him past several seemingly dead asylum or, or facility uh, employees, and takes him out to a limo, which has Conchu in the back seat. And Conchu says, Mark Spector truly believed that after he and I parted ways, I wanted his wife to be my avatar. Why would I ever need anybody else when he has no idea how troubled he truly is? And then we realize that Jake Lockley, the third personality who is sharing or inhabiting Mark slash Steven's body, is the driver. And Jake seemingly shoots Harrow multiple times and drives away. And that's the end of the episode. Yeah. Um, so a uh, lot to discuss there. Uh, what do you make of all this, Brad? Yeah, so it's we, we finally get to officially meet the third personality, which is something that's based uh, in, in Marvel Comics. And so that, that was a cool thing. We were hoping that we would uh, see that happen. And so uh, Jake's clearly a much more deadly uh, version of Mark and Steven. Doesn't have any mm-hmm. reservations about killing people. And it would seem to be that uh, they're not they won't be free of Conchu because Conchu presumably still has ties to Jake because mm-hmm. the, the deal that Mark and Steven made was for them to be free. And they didn't say anything about Jake because they don't seem to really know uh, Jake, even though they've had moments where they acknowledge they're like, you know, that wasn't me. Yeah. And they know that something else happened there. So uh, that's an interesting detail to see, but like, and so now, you know, you have to wonder how does this go forward? Because, uh, what's interesting here is that uh, Oscar Isaac isn't signed to like a big Marvel contract. Uh, he was contracted for this this first season. He's not opposed to coming back and doing more, but he's not locked in like to do a second season automatically or anything like that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what Marvel intends to do. If it's a story that that does you know actually continue, or if they'll like maybe bring in Moon Knight into a different story somewhere along the line, if it's not a full-fledged season. But there's clearly more here because of that third personality. Um, yeah, I don't know. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, like, you know, there, there are a couple things sort of swirling through my mind in the moment. Like, the idea of, um, of like, Layla appearing in the MCU, uh, again, in a, in a separate spot, having nothing to do with 
um, Oscar Isaac seems kind of likely to me, right? Like the idea that she disappears from the very end of this episode, but could easily pop up as this, uh, what did you say her, her character's name was? Scarlet Scarab, is yeah, that right? Yeah. Yeah, as the, that character, um, you know, this sort of Egyptian superhero in, in another context in the MCU seems very likely. Um, and they could do that easily without uh, uh, Oscar Isaac's involvement. Um, I think the idea that he didn't sign on for multiple things right out of the gate means that he seems to indicate to me anyway, that he wants to be a little bit more choosy about this stuff. So maybe it's going to be more piecemeal with him. Like, Oh, okay. I'll be in this one movie or this TV show or something instead of signing this sort of, sort of like multi appearance thing that has been so uh, common with, with Marvel actors. Um, but like how much, how much do you think that anything that we saw here is actually to really be believed? Um, because, Harrow is now inhabited by Amit and you know, like the, the idea that we see that, uh, that rubber ducky wearing the doctor's outfit, like how much of what we saw and, and how much of what we see, what we see in this post-credit scene is, uh, is real. Do you do like take it at, at face value? Do you think all of this is legit or do you think this is, um, you know, a, for lack of a better term, a dream or, or what, what do you think about this? I think that this is probably real. I think that uh, it was initially trying to like throw us off in the beginning in that way. But the fact that Jake takes Harrow out of the hospital um, and into a car and Conchu is there and, and, and all of that makes me feel like it's reality. Um, because I feel, I don't know why, you know, there because as far as we saw anyway there was no leaving the hospital unless it went to like a uh somewhere like um the uh what's what, what was the, the the duot yeah yeah and I, so like in my mind any any door that like seems like it's leaving the hospital probably goes to some different other you know plane of existence so i think them leaving into that physical space and leaving in the car especially since that car has a license plate that is basically an abbreviation for specter Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that's probably happening in, in the real world, especially since Jake is, you know, uh, killing Harrow in, you know, in that car, shooting him with a gun and everything. So, yeah, I was going to ask about that, too. Like, you know, do I guess it's a weird thing because the gun, the, I don't know if you noticed in the in the uh, car, there's that like that sort of bird's eye view shot looking down on the limo and there's a bunch of um of flashing uh and i think you hear some of the gunshots go off there yeah um like you actually see him pull the trigger i think at least twice like in the shot itself but then the gun continues to go off as the camera you know cuts up to that bird's eye view shot um is is uh ethan hawk's character dead for good um you know we've seen like things with uh with kingpin in hawkeye for example where like it seemed like that character was dead, but I'm pretty sure he's going to be back. So, and, and considering what we saw with, um, with Mark slash Steven in the very beginning of this episode where he was, you know, a, a bullet ridden corpse. And then he was brought back because of the, these, the ties to these, uh, ancient gods and everything. Do you think that, um, Ethan Hawke is like done for good in the MCU? I think, you know, no one's ever necessarily guaranteed dead, uh, especially in a comic book universe. Um, but I, I have to imagine that they probably will go with a different villain if there is a, a season two, whatever happens with that. 
um just because you know there there's real really no reason to like rehash what had already happened with harrow unless there's you know a different approach to his plan or 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 Ahmet if you know Ahmet is responsible for being able to like bring him back to life essentially so yeah I, th- I think I think he's probably done so have you thought at all about what you would maybe want to see in a second season of Moon Knight I so I'm not like familiar enough with the Moon Knight comics to have any like desires of what I would uh like to see I mean um I'm de- I definitely like Oscar Isaac in this role and I would love to see more uh of him you know in it but i think that i feel like moon knight might work better as like part of an ensemble and so Mm -hmm. like i'm kind of hoping that maybe as like this you know next phase of the marvel cinematic universe continues it'll create an opportunity for him to maybe like uh be you know in the same follow the same trajectory as like uh, maybe like be doing something with the Eternals who also have ties to, you know, stuff from, from the ancient world or uh, blade since blade uh, blade's voice was heard in one of the credit scenes for Eternals. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's clearly something that will connect him to, um, to, to black Knight. And so I, I think that there's a lot of these characters who have maybe been around for a long time and have ties to like uh, a lot of these like ancient mystical kind of things like can have something that brings them all uh, together. Not maybe not in an, an, a fashion that's quite as uh, epic as the Avengers, even though I'm sure Marvel would like that. But I feel like there's something, there's a, a cool way to connect some of this stuff that's happening. I think that's probably the best path for Moon Knight. Yeah. I think uh, Jeremy Slater, the the um, head writer of Moon Knight, I was listening to an interview that he did with um, Joanna Robinson over at the Ringerverse, And he mentioned that he wanted to incorporate the Eternals into this season of Moon Knight because of that sort of uh, ancient connection that you're mentioning. But it, it ended up just basically being like prohibitively expensive because you would have to bring in so many different yeah. uh, casting elements and like the visual effects would get out of control and like it's all about like resource spend for the show. And like, they would, they would rather um, make that moment where um, Khonshu sort of spun the night sky, look as cool as possible instead of um, sort of shortchanging those things along the way in order for some sort of connective tissue payoff down the road. So I think, I think they made the right decision for, for this show, for this season of the show. I really appreciated how um, disconnected a lot of it felt from, or maybe disconnected is the wrong word, but like, how little it leaned on a lot of the other MCU stuff that really felt refreshing to me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. And I think I also don't know the, um, the Moon Knight comics that well, but I think this character that they mentioned a few times, Bushman who like left him for dead. I wonder if there's an opportunity there to bring that character in as like, uh, I don't, I don't really know what happens to Bushman in the comics. If he like becomes a, um, a major villain or if he's just like never mentioned again or what, but maybe there's something there where um, that character could uh, could rear his ugly head again and, and sort of um, maybe bring out the worst in Mark, who has been uh, softened in the best possible way by Steven. Um, and then, you know, Jake, this, this sort of like murderous third personality, they could, the two of them could be like f- trying to fend off Jake from, from, uh, you know, committing revenge or something for, for what Bushman did to them. So I don't know. I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, but, um, yeah, I, um, I do think it's interesting that, um, that Moon Knight really did, uh, pretty much all the way through run, make him do, do its whole story run and didn't 
have any overt uh, direct connections to the MCU at large. Like there was no sneaky cameos. There was no like references to, to any events that had happened or like things like that. Like it's, this is, I think probably Marvel's most standalone series yet. Yeah. I think that that one line about the ancestral plane might be like one of the, it's, I mean, it's if if it's not the only connection or, or sort of reference, it's one of very, very, very few. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That, I, what did you think about that? Did you appreciate that, or where by the time you know now with the the benefit of hindsight, do you think that the show might have needed a little bit of uh, connection? No, I think it works, especially for this kind of story. It, it puts the focus on the characters of of Mark and Stephen. Uh, you know, you're not worrying about anything else, waiting for anybody else to show up to like help out or anything like that. Um, I, I think that it, it worked very well for this particular character. I definitely, I, I would maybe would have liked to have some kind of like hint at like a connection to what, like what's coming down the road and how like they might utilize Moon Knight, um, and bring it into the larger MCU. But mm-hmm. I, I do think it's refreshing to have uh, a story and characters that aren't, you know, relying or constantly referencing things that we know happened. Yeah. Uh, I'm checking, I'm double checking something right now because when I looked earlier today, this episode was still called episode six. It didn't actually have a real name yet. And yeah, as of right now, uh, it's still referred to as episode six. So I thought that was um, sort of an odd thing. I guess that's happened sometimes with with uh, Disney Plus shows before. But typically, like, you know, halfway through the day on, on premiere day, uh, it's it's normally been updated by now. So um, uh, do you have any thoughts on on that, Brad, is it uh, just a an oversight, <laughs> a technical oversight on somebody's part at Disney Plus, or do you think that there's any sort of deeper meaning by not having a, a real title here? Uh, that is a good question. Uh, I didn't realize that when I went to go uh, watch it. Yeah, I guess it could be a technical oversight. Um, maybe that's something I, I I'm supposed to interview uh, Mohamed Diab, who directed four out of the six episodes uh, of Moon Knight, including these these last two. So. Maybe that is something I can ask him and see if I can get a uh, clarification about. Nice. Okay, cool. So um, yeah, stay tuned to SlashFilm.com for Brad's upcoming interview. We have a ton of good um, Moon Knight coverage on the site. So I encourage you all to visit SlashFilm.com and, and read that. I'm going to link to some of the, those pieces in the show notes. But uh, before we go, Brad, do you have any sort of closing thoughts on uh, on Moon Knight as a whole or, or any um, aspect that we didn't touch on here yet? Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, I think I'm I'm now I'm just more curious than anything to see what they do here because this is the first time uh, in a while where they haven't um, given any indication of you know when this might get get picked up, how it might move forward. Uh, and again, you know, with Oscar Isaac not being contracted, you have to wonder you know whether they're going to wait until they have something to do with the character or if they have plans already in the works and just haven't announced it. Um, so yeah, that's I think that's the thing that I'm uh, I'm most curious about and. I I wonder now if like based on this if like because the the rest of the Marvel Cinematic Universe TV shows you know ha- had were continuing the stories of of other characters that we'd already seen in the MCU expanding them giving them uh, some new storylines and also kind of like introducing different like threads that could make waves in the the Marvel movies and this is the first one that really uh, doesn't do any of that and doesn't really like set up set up anything or have any ma- major waves to make. So I wonder if this is something we might see uh, more of as, as time goes on, maybe not like 
not obviously that's not happening with all of their shows because the stuff they have coming up, like Ms. Marvel has ties to, to Captain Marvel. Uh, you know, she, she Hulk will obviously have some ties to incredible Hulk um, secret invasion. It has to deal with the scrolls and stuff, but I do wonder if maybe like every three or four Marvel shows, they'll be like, all right, here's something completely different that we're just trying out. We're going to see how it works and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right about that. I mean, based on what we have seen so far or what we can, can guess about in any way. Um, and just to, to sort of piggyback off something that you said earlier, I also do think that if they bring, well, let's let's face it, when they bring Oscar Isaac back um, in some sort of team capacity, I think Moon Knight would work really, really well in that sort of group setting. Like I can very easily see Mark and Steven like arguing amongst themselves and like, you know, Paul Rudd's Ant-Man or something like looking on and just making some sort of quip about it. I know people give Marvel a hard time for it. It's, it's a uh, quippiness, but um, I, I think there, there's a lot of fun to be had with that dynamic between those characters dropped within a larger dynamic of a, a group, whether it's like some sort of new Avengers uh, uh, lineup or, or whatever it is. But yeah. um, I think the, the performers there, that's one of the things Marvel has done so well from the, from day one is like, getting you know some of the best actors in the world um and just the idea of oscar isaac being added to that uh that stew is a really um enticing thing even if it is you know in avengers 9 or whatever <laughs> whatever the title is going to be right so, um cool all right well thanks very much for for joining me with that brad hopefully um i, I want to hear what peter has to think about this because or has to say about this because uh like i said he's he's out sick so hopefully he um you know feels better very soon and, and maybe he'll even be able to come back tomorrow and offer up some brief thoughts about his um, his thoughts on the finale. But uh, thank you all so much for, for listening. You can find more about Moon Knight at SlashFilm.com. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. And send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thanks so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Just before the Civil War, a grassroots youth movement rose up against slavery. Smithsonian curator John Grinspan tells the riveting, inspiring, and often overlooked story in his new book, Wide Awake, the forgotten force that elected Lincoln and spurred the Civil War. Published by Bloomsbury. Find this perfect Father's Day gift wherever you buy books or tap to learn more. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.